If you have your Bibles open with me to the book of John, and we had such a great service in the first, the first service, and we just got down and talked about uh, how to make good decisions. And I'm going to do the same here, and I'm just going to take my time. We're coming back at 6.30, so we're going to take our time. I'm preaching this series. I'm going to end it today, but a series called God First, talking about how to put God first in your life. In all aspects of your life, I began in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus said, Seek you first the kingdom and its righteousness, then all these things will be added to you. And in that passage, he tells us not to worry, I think, three different times. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And I realized it was an issue of priority. That once we put God in first priority in our lives, everything else lines up behind it and it takes or should take the worry out. Because God's in control, he's out front. Amen? Then I came back the next week and I talked about how to have a great day. How do you have a great day? Put God first. Sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary did. We read that passage. Then I came back last week and talked about how to uh, put first things first and dedicate them to God. And I talked about the law of first things. That God wants the first. He wants the best that we have. And that when we give Him that, it sanctifies the rest and orders everything else in our lives, okay? So today I'm going to talk about how to make good decisions, how to make great decisions. And how do we do that? Well, the skinny of it is put God first in the decisions of your life. Each of us have hundreds and thousands of decisions we need to make, will make as the years roll on, family, future, jobs, finances, grandkids, how to vote, what to buy at Walmart, what picture to hang on the wall. I mean, each of us live and we make thousands of decisions. And you could just say, well, I'm, God's given me a brain, and he has. But I'm just going to make decisions myself and just kind of, God's, God's given me the authority to do that, and he has given you the authority to do that. But I'm telling you, there's a better way. And that is put him first in your life. And I'm going to show you how to make great decisions. Okay, John chapter 10, and let's begin reading with verse 1. John chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings... Out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger, or voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but did not under, that they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Now, now I want you to notice something here. Verse 3, it says, He calls his own sheep by name. This sheep hears his voice. Verse 4 And they know His voice. They know His voice. They do not know, verse 5, the voice of a stranger or the voice of strangers. How many of you are born again in here and serving the Lord? Then the Holy Spirit is living in you and you're one of His sheep and He can call you by name and you have the ability, the receptivity in your spirit to hear it and obey. He calls you by name and you can obey and hear his voice because you're a follower. Hallelujah. 
you're a disciple, a learner. You're a follower, you're a learner, you're a friend of God. And we know his name and he knows us and strangers we're not going to follow. Come on, lift your hand with me. That's a promise today. Come on, say it with me. I know the voice of the shepherd. And strangers I will not follow. Amen. So you know the the Bible is uh, written with chapter divisions all through it, but it wasn't originally written like that. The chapter divisions came later. So sometimes it does, does us well to look back into the previous chapter and see if the dots connect. In this case, they really do. Because what's happening in John chapter 9 is Jesus has healed a blind man. If you'll remember the story or if you've read the Bible or if not, you can look at it, John chapter 9. Jesus comes up upon a blind man. And he, he, it's, it's very interesting. When he comes up upon this blind man, he looked at his, or the disciples looked at him and said, Who sinned, Rabbi, that this man was born blind? And Jesus said, neither did, the, did he sin or his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest. Don't worry about all of that stuff. And he says, I am come into the world, and I am the light of the world. And he to- tells the guy, it's interesting what he does. He spits on the ground. He makes clay with the saliva, and he anoints the eyes of the blind man. And he tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. He goes and washes, and he totally receives his sight. And he comes back, and Jesus isn't there. He couldn't find the man who healed him. But everyone saw what had happened to this guy, and so the religious authorities were there. Thank God for the religious authorities. Just kidding. And they start questioning him as to how did this happen. It's never been heard that a man born blind could see like this, they said. So they started questioning him, how in the world did this happen? And he said, well, you know, there was a man named Jesus. And this is how it happened. Then they came back at him, they pushed him a little harder. And he said, well, well, he was a prophet. And he pushed him a little more. Then call his parents in. They called the parents in. I think the parents were afraid of getting kicked out of the synagogue. And they said, hey, ask the boy, he's old enough to answer for himself. So they go back and ask him and they push him and finally he sarcastically responds and says, do you want to be his followers too? And they got mad and kicked the boy out of the synagogue. He goes down the street and Jesus finds him. And Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of God? And they said, who is the Son of God? He says, you're talking to him right now. And he said, Lord, I believe. He said, and he worshiped him. Amazing story. And at the end of the story, what happens is Jesus makes an accusatory statement or condemning statement to the Pharisees or the religious leaders. He says this. He said, the religious Pharisees came up. Well, first of all, he said, for judgment I've come into the world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said, are we blind also? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore, your sin remains. In other words, you think, you're blind, you think I'm saying you're blind? Guess what? I am saying you're blind. And it's weird how it worked in John, and it works a lot in John like this, that there's like heaven and earth, spiritual and natural, and people down on the natural not catching what Jesus is saying on the spirit level. So here it is, this blind man sees the Lord or gets healed by the Lord 
and then sees who he really is. The Pharisees are supposed to be the ones who can see, but they miss the whole picture and end up at the end of the story, and they're the ones who are blind. So the seeing are really spiritually blind, and the blind man now spiritually can see and physically can see. What's this have to do with chapter 10? Jesus is saying, I think this blind man, he's one in the sheepfold. He's one who heard my voice. The Pharisees, they're the false shepherds of Israel. If you read on down in John chapter 10, he says, verse 8, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out Go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I think initially this is the work of Satan, right? To kill, steal, and destroy. But in this context, he's talking about the false shepherds of Israel who are thieves and robbers who've come to kill, steal, and destroy the flock of Israel, and that's the Pharisees. Wow. And they're the ones not hearing. They're the ones not seeing. But guess what, church? That isn't us. We are now the ones set aside, washed in the blood. His Spirit's been poured out upon us. His law has been written in our hearts according to Jeremiah 31. And now we hear and we see Him. There's no reason we shouldn't be hearing or seeing the Lord. Can you shout amen? What's this have to do with decision making? We... We've been given great and precious promises that when we go to make decisions, if we put God first and if we consider Him, He's going to lead us in the right way. He's going to help us make the right decisions. He's going to help us decide the right things. Amen? So I'm going to give you some prerequisites for making good decisions, and then I'm going to give you four tools to make good decisions. And here's just some prerequisites I got from a great medieval theologian. Because we all need some great medieval theologians in our lives. Number one, is the decision you're making leading you to a righteous life? Does it lead you to do right things? Does it lead you to a happy life? And this theologian would call happiness not just a fleeting moment of joy, but a life where you live serving the Lord and being fulfilled in serving Him. That's a happy life. Does it lead you to a righteous and happy life, the decision you're getting ready to make? Number two, does this decision, is it being made in the right time? Sometimes there are right things to do, but this isn't the time for them yet. Is this the right thing? Is this at the right time? Come on, say this with me. Right time, right place, right people. That's what we want. Right time, right place, right people. That's, that's the ideal situation. And then finally... Are your intentions good in making this decision? Are you trying to do well? Are you trying to help others? Are you trying to fulfill what God has placed in your heart? Are your intentions good and not evil? Those are just prerequisites, I think, to making good decisions. And then God has given us four tools that I see whereby we can make great decisions. So we're going to go through these. Very simple. Number one is just the Word. Shout it out with me and just say the Word. The Word, come on, say it. The Word works. The Word works in me. God has given us His Word, and by His Word, we can make great decisions in life. This happens several different ways. Number one, once you know Scripture, 
Once you read, understand, hear Scripture preached, once you understand it, you know the stories of the Bible and the concepts of the Bible. And by knowing those, you can make good decisions because the stories and concepts of the Bible now become a filter through which you see and judge everything. And I'm telling you, been doing this a while, it works. That now it just beca- it's like second nature to me. I've been doing this enough, studying the Bible enough since I've been 16 years old. And I just think through the lens of Scripture as best I can. That when I'm faced with a decision, I think, how does this flesh out in Scripture? What are the principles that I've been taught in Scripture? Are there any stories that sound like this in the Bible that I can learn from? So just learning the concepts and precepts of Scripture, this is why it is absolutely necessary and absolutely a have to in your family to teach your children the Bible. I just want to encourage you. Teacher, it's more important than Spongebob. Maybe I'm showing my age here, but it's more important than all that. The Bible is more important. Okay, it's more important than Disney. It's more important than whatever else. The Bible is the most important. Hallelujah. I'm going to say it to this church over here. Teach your kids the Bible. Get them in church. Let them hear the preaching of the Word. They're old enough to understand. Believe me. Hallelujah. I went to I went, well, my first mission trip, the second mission trip I ever took. I went to a certain country in South America, and I got there, and I was going to preach the first night, and I thought, man, this Holy Ghost revival. I'm getting ready. We're going to cast out demons and raise the dead. And I got there, and about 80% of the congregation were children. And, and, and some of the locals told us, you don't have to treat them like American kids. They know the Bible, and they can sit in service. Don't bring it down. Preach it full, full on strong. They can understand it. Teach your kids the Bible. Teach them the stories of the Bible. When they're young, teach them the big stories. This is Noah and the ark. This is Moses and the Red Sea. This is Adam and Eve in the garden. Just the big picture stories. Then as they get that, rehearse them, rehearse them, and then start going down deeper into the other concepts of the Bible. By the time they get to be teenagers, teach them how to read and interpret themselves. I didn't plan on saying all this, but somebody must need it. I'm telling you, get down into the concepts and precepts of Scripture because once they learn that, they'll have it the rest of their lives. They will have it the rest of their lives. Amen? Second way that the Word can, can work in us. Now listen, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word. So, you know, I don't think it just means faith comes by hearing and the, the Word we heard 42 years ago. I think it's a consistent hearing of the Word that produces faith and maintains faith in your life. I'm telling you, we, we prayed with someone this morning who was facing a life-threatening disease. And I told this lady, I said, please, go get in the Scripture. Soak yourself in the healing scriptures. Shut out the other voices as best you can that come against that. Don't allow anything else. Cast down every imagination and high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. Get into the scripture and soak yourself in the healing scriptures and let that take, let that trump everything else. But a second way God can speak to us in scripture is sometimes, I'm telling you, you can just open the Bible and God will give you a word. Is that the normal way he works? No. 
You should get in the Bible and start reading and understanding. But I will say, every now and then, I've had God just give me a word. Now, you need to learn how to study Scripture because if you just pick and choose words, there was a man who said he went and found the Scripture. Judas went and hanged himself. Then he just flopped open to another Scripture and it said, Go thou and do likewise. So, so you don't want that. Okay? You, you want to read Scripture in context. However, sometimes God will just give you a word. Sometimes the Lord will speak to you ch- book chapter and verse. I've had that happen many times and I don't know through the years I've had it not work sometimes and then sometimes I really knew it was the Lord and it really gave me direction for that moment. I'll give you two examples. One was my grandfather who was very close to me passed away when I was a college student and uh, you know I was it, it really hurt me when he passed away. We were very close and he was a a wonderful man. And so I went to prayer. And then I heard, turn to Psalm, this chapter, and this verse. And I turned to that Psalm and that chapter, that verse. And sure enough, it was talking about the king being crowned. And it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful coronation Psalm, really, but it spoke to me about my granddad. And I know it was out of context, but I'm telling you, the Spirit of God used it to speak and comfort my heart. And I wrote a date up above it, and it's still in an old Bible I have. And I was able to tell his pastor and their church about it later. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. When I was first getting into the ministry, my pastor was encouraging me to preach because I did music, but he said, there's more in you. There's the ministry of the Word in you. And then I started... I don't know, I would, the Spirit of God would come on me sometimes when I would sing a song and I'd preach a little bit. Or one night I got up to preach and before I did, I got up to sing a song and before I did, the Holy Ghost just came on me and I just started preaching. Just like a man on fire. And I felt my pastor come up and unloose the guitar from my neck. And when he did that, I grabbed that microphone off the stand and started going back and forth preaching just as hard as I could. And I came back after service, the guys looked at me and said, we've never heard you raise your voice like that, Hans. But the Spirit of God, so I believe preaching is a heavenly gift. The Spirit of God came on me to do it. Well, after that time, I was praying, God, is this really what you want me to do? And I was feeling, you know, I was feeling the drawing to do that. But I felt the Lord say, go to Jeremiah chapter 3 and look at verse 15. So I opened up to Jeremiah chapter 3. And looked at verse 15, and here's what the Bible says. Jeremiah 3.15. He said, And I will give you shepherds according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. King James says pastors. I'll give you pastors according to my heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And I knew that was a confirmation, one of many, But it was a confirmation of what the Lord was doing in my life. So know the Bible. Know how to study it. But also be open to spirit interpretations or spirit, I don't know, we we call it rhema sometimes, but be open to those verses that God will just give you in the moment for a specific situation. Can somebody shout amen? Somebody shout the word works. Come on, the word. look at your neighbor and say the word works. The Bible works. Hallelujah. Get it off the shelf, dust it off, and start reading through it. Second thing, say it with me. Pray in the Spirit. 
pray in the Spirit. The Lord has given us the Holy Spirit, but yet He's also given us a special endowment called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage all of you born-again Christians who have never experienced the baptism of the Spirit to go seek the baptism of the Spirit. Receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He's given us a special endowment to be able to do ministry for Him and to be effective witnesses. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. You see instances of this, and it's even alluded to in Acts chapter 8 when Philip was preaching in Samaria and Peter and John came and laid hands on the disciples. And there was one manifestation. There are many manifestations of the Spirit. There are many proofs of the Spirit. There are many evidences of the Spirit. But one that we see consistently in the book of Acts was praying in other tongues. See that consistently. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. I believe it's alluded to as well in, in uh, the language praying in the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 6, and in Romans chapter 8. And so what God does is when He comes, He gives us the ability to pray in unknown tongues. I'm going to call that a prayer language. I'm going to use Oral Roberts' term. Prayer language. God gives us the ability to pray in a prayer language. Now that's different than congregational gift of unknown tongues. Because when, when the Holy Spirit is moving among a congregation and someone has a special message from the Lord, it can come out in unknown tongues. At that time, we should all be silent. And we should listen. And then we should pray that someone interprets that in our language. And we've seen it happen hundreds and hundreds of times. And there's a natural order to the things of the Spirit when that happens. One morning it happened here. We were worshiping one morning. And a man gave a message in unknown tongues. And then there was an interpretation that came out in English. There was a new couple sitting near this guy visiting the church for the first time. And, of course, we had to think, oh, Lord, will they ever come back to our church? But sure enough, you know what that couple said? They said, we really felt God was in this place, but when that man prayed in another language and there was a message given for God, we looked at each other and we said, the Lord is really in this place. And isn't that what Paul said? He said that when you pray in tongues, it's a sign for the unbeliever and then the prophetic word goes forth and he who comes in from the outside when the prophetic word goes forth it's in the English language or in the language of the vernacular of the people worshiping and that prophetic word goes forth then he says the secrets of people's hearts are revealed and the man will fall down in the floor declaring God is among you I'm telling you the spiritual gifts are to be used in our church in our families all through the week can somebody shout hallelujah but if you're baptized in the Spirit, everybody, everybody has given, been given the right and privilege to pray in a prayer language. If you haven't received it yet, we would love to pray with you or provide more materials for you to learn about it. But we all have the right and privilege to pray in a prayer language because God drops something special into our hearts and we can pray in unknown tongues. And what's interesting about praying in tongues is Paul said we're not praying to where men can understand us. So we're praying... I believe we have like a direct line to heaven. I, that's just what I believe. I believe when we're praying in tongues, I believe it's us communing through the power of the Holy Spirit to the Father. It's like I grew up in the 70s and early 80s on the old Batman. 
How many remember the old Batman? You know, oh, the old Batman with Commissioner Gordon, and it was the coolest show ever, ever. And they were so high tech, they had a red phone. Commissioner Gordon had a red phone, right, with the cable and the big long squirrely thing. He had a red phone, and when he picked up that red phone, it called directly to the Batcave. It went directly to the Batcave, and only Batman could pick up the Joker. None of those dudes could, could hear what was going on. I think you and I have a bat phone all the way to heaven. It's called praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 says, For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. There is, I believe that's talking about tongues. I just really do. That when we don't know how to pray as we ought, which is all the time, we know some things to pray and we know the will of God on things, but there's a lot of decisions in our lives that we just don't have the word of the Lord on yet and that's when we should go pray in the Holy Ghost. Allow the Spirit of God to pray through us and He will pray the perfect will of God concerning those situations. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or chapter 14 rather, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 2, Paul's talking about praying in the Spirit. And he says this, he says, he's, 1 Corinthians 14, 2, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit... He speaks mysteries. And I believe the mysteries, I don't believe it's just talking about he just speaks mysteriously. He speaks mysteries. I believe there are mysteries that the, that the Father has that we need to tap into and the only way we can tap into them is we're praying in the Holy Ghost. And as we pray in the Spirit... He knows what our future is. He knows the decisions we'll face tomorrow. He knows the decisions we'll face next week. And as we tap into praying in the Spirit, we're going to pray those answers into our lives. Now recently, uh, Dana was telling me that she, just, she was challenged to just pray in the Spirit for an hour a day. So she said, I just got up one day and said, I'm going to pray in tongues. I'm going to pray in the Holy Spirit for an hour. And she said, as I did it, during that process, I was thinking, is this really doing anything? But then she said she was amazed at how it took her to a new level, opened up the day and opened up the week to her. I'm going to tell you, out of discipline, open up your spirit and pray in the Holy Spirit. Paul said, I will pray with my understanding. Nous in Greek, which means the mind. I will pray with my mind and I will pray in the Spirit. I will sing with my mind and I will sing in the Spirit. Oh, hallelujah. I will sing in English and I'll sing over here in unknown tongues. I'll pray in English and I'll pray in unknown tongues. And it's interesting, it starts with the natural first and then goes to the Spirit. We pray out our prayer requests, then enter into the Holy Ghost and pray in tongues. Is anybody listening to me in here today? Are you getting this? There's something interesting too in the book of Ephesians. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, chapter 5, and let me show you something. Ephesians chapter 5, he gives us how to tap into the will of God. He says, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How many want to understand what the will of the Lord is? 
Don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now what comes out of that? Number one, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Singing in psalms. Psalms are scripture songs. They're scripture songs. They're script- For thou, O Lord, art a shield unto me, the lifter of my head. That's a scripture song. We sing some scripture songs here. It comes straight out of Psalms or Revelation or other ones, other books of the Bible. Those are scripture songs. Hymns are, they didn't have the red back hymnal back then. Hymns are songs written by people. Songwriters. We should sing those. We should sing scripture and we should sing some songs written by human beings. But then he said we're to sing spiritual songs. Those are Holy Ghost songs. What are those songs? I don't know. That's just what comes by the Spirit. Oh, Lord God, I bless you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Then I start singing in tongues. Amen. And those... So when Garner's up here and he hits that low and kind of kicks it in neutral and we're no longer singing off the wall and it's just, Lord, I bless you. That's your trigger. You shouldn't sit there and look at him like, what are we going to do now? You shouldn't be like that. It should be like, oh, that's it. Hallelujah, glory. And you just start. It's your open door. And so we do that. So if you're new to our church, maybe you're used to someone you know, leading you through every song, and that's great. But we want to open the door up so you can enter into that space And just start praising the Lord on your own and let your new song or your spiritual songs come forth. I'm telling you, some of the most beautiful worship I've ever experienced in my life is when the entire congregation is singing in tongues. When I was a young, I was a college student, I was taken to Tulsa, Oklahoma to one of Oral Roberts' conferences. And there must have been 6,000 pastors and church leaders there. And we're there, and I heard something that I'd never heard in my life. And that was all, seemed like 6,000 of them, where there was, when there was a lull in worship like that, they all raised their voice and started singing in tongues. And it was like harmonies. And it was like angels. It was absolutely the most orderly and beautiful thing I'd ever heard in my life. So I encourage you, when we open up the door like that, that's, that's when we come out. And we're not, because church isn't a concert. Church isn't a performance. Church is worship. So, you know, if, you, if I go with you and I go hear Yo-Yo Ma in concert playing the, the cello, I don't want you next to me, go Yo-Yo! You do it, man! No, you shut up and let me listen to Yo-Yo Ma, man. I'm there to hear him. Or I took Sarah, she wanted to go hear this famous opera singer a few years ago. And I took her. I took her. And it's like, <laughs> that's a bad opera. But anyhow, you know, this lady's, this lady, it's a, it's a piano player and her. They're in a big auditorium. And everyone is silent because we're watching a performance. And it was great. There's a place for that. But church ain't that place. 
When we come to church, it's a participatory worship thing going on. Lift your voice and sing to the Lord. You say, but Pastor Hans, I can't sing. We don't care. I care if you get on this platform and take a microphone. You should be able to sing when you do that. But out there, we're going to drown you out. Hallelujah. And then your job is just to, oh, hallelujah, and not give up care who's next to you, but just lift your voice and sing because we're all worshiping the Lord together. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Somebody said, no, I like church to be quiet. Well, I'm telling you, as one man said, this is the quietest world you'll ever live in. Hell is full of gnashing of teeth and weeping and screaming. Heaven is so loud that Isaiah saw heaven and he said the seraphim were flying through the throne room of heaven and when they shouted out, the, the pillars of the temple shook at the sound of their voice. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So you, you might as well just get in down here, hallelujah. You might as well just fall in with us and just sing and shout and clap your hands and pray in the Spirit. Come on, say it with me. The Word works. Pray in the Spirit. Third thing to making great decisions, putting God first, is use wise counsel. Now the Bible tells us to have good mentors around us, wise counsel around us. Hallelujah. Everybody needs a Paul in their life, like to Timothy. He was a mentor that spoke to him, helped direct him. Then everybody needs a Barnabas in your life. One who's a, Barnabas means son of encouragement. He's one who got Paul. When they thought Paul was so radical, they said, you better go home, you're going to get killed. They had to sneak him out of Damascus. Then they had to sneak him out of Jerusalem where he's going to be killed. He was so radical. He showed up and scared the Christians. And then finally, once the Christians realized he's on our side, he, he incensed and ticked off all of the religious leaders. So they were going to kill him. They sent him back home. Finally, when they, it came time for revival, came time for missionary work to happen, Barnabas is like, I've got a guy. I know a guy that's so radical, I'm going to go get him. He went and got him and brought him back to Antioch. And then Acts chapter 13, the Spirit of the Lord said, Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them. And they were sent out as missionaries. So everybody needs a Paul in their life. Everyone needs a Barnabas in their life. And you should have a Timothy in your life that you're speaking into and you're encouraging and you're raising up. So we need mentors in our lives and we need wise counselors in our lives. Some of you, if you have your parents living who have served the Lord for many years, you have a treasure. If you have grandparents who are living who have been serving the Lord for many years, you have a treasure in your grandparents that they've been, they've been walking this thing for a long time. There's some saints in this church you need to get to know. There's some men and women of God here who have served the Lord for decades or dec years and years and 50 and 60, 70 years. You need to get to know they've walked through some stuff. Hallelujah. There's some faith people in this church. There's some people who walked in miracles here in this church. There's some people been laying hands on the sick and seeing demons cast out for decades in this church. Get around some of these people who are strong, who can give you wise counsel. And you know there are two verses here that I want to read. First is Proverbs chapter 15 verse 22 says when counsels or without counsel, 
Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Then Proverbs 20:18, plans are established by counsel and by wise guidance, wage war. So it's talking about plans in both of these. And we really, when we go to do great things, when we go to make big decisions, you need some wisdom on the situation. You need to talk to somebody maybe who's been through that before or has walked this road before. When we went to build this building, we had a council that gave wise counsel on how to build this building. When we decorated this building, we had wise counsel on how, and you know who we went and got? Not a bunch of men. We went and got some women. Because they, you know, at least, in, I don't know, if it's like that for you, anyhow, we went and got women. And got wise counsel on it. Hallelujah. And it's beautiful. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So you need wise counsel. But then there is a point. You can labor and labor and labor over a decision. And then you just wear the thing out. And I've been like that in my life. I've worn some decisions out. I was with a friend recently, and he's like, are you still thinking about this thing? Are you still trying to think about this? And I was like, okay, I get the picture. And so it's a good word for those like me that once we receive counsel, once we hear from the Holy Spirit, we make a decision and shut it off. Confer no more with the arm of flesh. Once you make the decision, you're in and you're committed. You roll with it, and God's going to work it out for you. Can you shout amen? amen. Confer no more with the arm of flesh. Go for it, and you're in. and You're in the water now to start swimming. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Wise counsel. The final thing, and we could take the rest of the evening and talk about this, is the inner witness. Come on, say it with me. The inner witness. The Bible says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So God has placed His Spirit in our lives. And once His Spirit's in our lives, the Spirit has come. And Jesus said, I'm going to go away, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending you another comforter, and He'll come and He will guide and lead you into all truth. So we have now the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives who is actively leading and guiding us into all truth. I've noticed this in my own life though. If I get dialed in close to the Lord, I'm praying, I'm reading, I'm cautious of what I'm listening to, I'm hearing the Word and hearing the Word, my conversations are mainly about the Lord, then I know that that voice becomes louder and louder in my life. It's like I turned up the volume on the inner witness. But if I'm not where I should be, or if I'm not prayed up like I should be, or I've allowed a lot of other conversation to come into my head, or a lot of other things, it seems that that voice can get dialed down just a little bit. So I want to encourage you to be sensitive to what you talk about, listen to, put in your eye gates, ear gates, what you eat, how you live your life. I'm going, to be, I'm going to ask you to be sensitive to that so you can be open to the presence of the Holy Spirit and His voice that is within you. Because God has given us a divine, Holy Ghost, non-battery operated GPS system. 
It's called the Holy Spirit. He is called the Holy Spirit. It's the divine, supernatural GPS system in your life. How many know you, you have a GPS, or now most of us use our phones, I guess, plug the phone in, get the location, get the directions, push go, and then it says take left in 450 feet. You take a left, and then you realize, oh man, there's 7-Eleven, I'm going to turn around. And I'm just going to hit that 7-Eleven right quick before I get back on my route. And then as soon as you turn, it goes freakazoid. Rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. Make a left, make a left, make a left, make a left. It goes haywire because you got off the path. The Holy Spirit is saying, hey, Han, come on back. Don't go down that road. And he does it in a loving way. And then sometimes he sends us another person to tell us not to go down that road. Then we see a flashing billboard and 14 dreams and other signs tell us not to go down that road. It's the Holy Spirit reeling us back in. And it's not because he wants to rain on our party and take all the joy out of life. No, he wants to protect us so we'll live in an overflow and life more abundantly. The shepherd is calling our name. Shepherds calling our names. You know, in the ancient world, the shepherds, they say, would have a name for each sheep. And sometimes they would respond to their name and sometimes even to a flute melody. And then when they were out in pasture lands during seasons, the ancient shepherds in the hill country would make a uh, makeshift shelter for the sheep at night. And instead of putting some sort of door on it, the shepherd himself would just lie down as the door. So if any predator came in, there's my one sit up for the day. So if any predator came in, he would, it would have to go across the shepherd to get to the sheep. And God is saying, I am the good shepherd. I'm going away, but I've sent the Holy Spirit in my stead. And now he's there leading and guiding you and protecting you. Got the volume turned up. Hallelujah. You know what? If you got, you got kids in the car and you've got the music blaring and, and you've got your phone over here not plugged in, it's hard to hear the GPS. Sometimes you've got to shut it down so you can clearly hear the direction. Shh, everybody be quiet. I'm trying to figure out where to go. Think about it. Be quiet. I'm trying to figure out what's next in my life. God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's how He works. He works on peace. He works on peace. He comes and speaks peace over our lives and gives us peace during certain decisions. Have you ever just felt a little bit off about things? And you're like, this doesn't, it just doesn't feel right to me. You better watch that. Because it's probably not right. And when God is leading you, Satan drives his herd. Jesus and the Holy Spirit gently lead the flock. That's a word I learned years ago. Satan drives. You've got to do it. It's a lust. Jesus doesn't work like that. He comes and gently leads you by his power, by his presence, and he sets the peace on you. He sets the peace on you. The peace of God shall rule and reign in your heart. 
It'll be the umpire of your heart. So when you're making a decision, it might be a difficult decision. Not saying God's calling us to, to, to do easy things the rest of our lives. No, He calls us to some big stuff. But when He does, you'll have peace on it. There'll be peace in the Holy Ghost. Because He speaks to us spirit to spirit. And He's speaking peace to peace. And He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Father of Shalom. And He comes in and speaks that peace to our lives. And we realize that this is it. God, you've placed your peace on this, and I can walk in that. And those of you who are married, you're doubly blessed. Because now you're teamed up with someone who also can hear the inner witness of the Spirit. And now two of you can exponentially carry a greater load than any one of you individually. And so with the Holy Spirit with you and with your mate... Y'all can be bouncing what each other's hearing and bouncing it off of each other. Because there's some of you men like, I'm going to move to Alaska. And I'm going to build a cabin with no electricity. And we're going to live off uh, deer meat and antelope. And it's going to be a blast. And your wife's like, You've been watching too much Discovery Channel is what you've been doing. And you need that reality check to twing and bring you back into reality. God calls people to Alaska. I'm just using a funny example. Come on. Have you ever wanted to do something? Men. I'm just going to talk to the men. Have you ever just wanted to do something? You're just like amped up about this. And this is it. Woo. And you go tell your wife. And it's like, and I'm telling it's happening now. And she's like, uh... Let me pray about this. And you get that funky vibe like, this ain't going how I expected it to go. <laughs> and then we realize a few days later, oh, snap, she's right. She's hearing from the Spirit, and there's no peace on this. I better back up, set things in part for a minute, and pray about this decision. Amen? Because you know you want a Dodge Challenger with a Hemi in it. I do. Oh, hallelujah! And God gives those things, man. I, wanted a, I had a Harley Davidson, and it was amazing. But I said, Lord, I want a road king. So I prayed about it. I don't know why I'm telling this. Somebody needs to hear this. Because men, God will give you some stuff. And I prayed about it. And I said, Lord, I would like a road king. Because I was riding a sportster and I said, it's amazing. You felt like Fonzie. You felt like the baddest guy in town. On, But a road king, I can set that cruise control. Walked in church the next Sunday. Prayer leader comes up and says, this man over here, Hans, is trying to sell his road king. I said, what's he want for it? He told me, and I said, tell him I'll be there Monday to pick it up. I said, no, you got to come ride it. I said, tell him I'll be there Monday, I'm going to pick it up. You know what I did? Went over Monday and picked it up. Hallelujah. Come on, he'll give you the desires of your heart. So men, if you get shut down, just keep working. There's another thing you're going, God's going to get you into. If it's not Alaska, maybe it's Weeksville. <laughs> hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, lift your hand with me. Say, the word works. Pray it in the spirit works. Wise counsel works. 
And thank God the inner witness works. That's what God's given you, the inner witness. Let's all stand this morning. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching and listening to the podcast. And I hope these sermons have been a great blessing and source of encouragement to your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing today, Jesus is the answer. I can tell you, He is the answer for your life. I'd love to pray with you before we leave here. So if you never accepted Christ into your life, or if you just have a need in your life, let's lift it up to the Lord right now. Come on, pray with me. Lord Jesus, wash me from all sin. I accept you into my life. I repent of all sin, and I place you on the throne seat of my heart. Lord, I pray right now, you minister to each and every one who just prayed that short prayer with me. Whatever situation they're facing, give them grace right now. Give them the power they need to get through it, Lord. Give miracles, signs, and wonders today, Lord, to those listening in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We declare it done in Jesus' name. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in and listening and watching us.